0: Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you, and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Well, we are uh, about 17 minutes behind uh, on the service flow, so I'm going to jump right in. We're in week two of our series, The Magnificent Seven, and the entire heart and hope of this series uh, is, first of all, to let you see God's heart toward you and toward his people and how God will continue Over and over again to surprise us by the people that he chooses to do remarkable things. In fact, that is the title of the sermon series, is that God, why does God choose questionable people to do remarkable things? And some of these people are far more than questionable. In fact, if you want to catch up on the first part of this series, as we talked about Noah's story last time, you can do that on our YouTube channel and then follow up with this series and continue to see all of the remarkable things that God will do when even the worst moments that we have, we entrust to him, Amen. As always, if you have any questions or you'd like to uh, uh, know or understand something, especially in some of these crazier stories, in fact, this reminds me, uh, next week I'm preaching the story of Tamar and Judah uh, out of Genesis chapter 38. If you've never read that story, you've never heard that story, uh, it is a tough one. It's a difficult one. And and in fact, if you have young ones and you're not ready for them uh, to have to wrestle with the idea of sex and sexuality and and some of the grosser sides or more painful sides to that, that I'm gonna go ahead and give you a pre-warning that you will not want them in this room uh, next week because or watching online for that matter because it will be a tough subject matter but if you have any questions along the way uh, like today you may wonder why Abraham was married to his half-sister or, or something like that uh, please feel free to text sermon question to nine four zero 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 we love to answer those also as always we prepared pre prepared sermon notes for you in the Bible app event, Uh, we'd love for you to scan that QR code and get those notes. This is not for our benefit, but for yours. We want you to continue to be able to engage this beyond the week so that this is not just... Ooh, just hit my step goal. This is not just... Uh, Listen, man, I'm I'm telling you, for a big man, it don't take much. I got all my cardio for the week between these two worship services. But um, uh, we'd love for you to continue to be able to follow along during the week so that this is not just a Sunday event, okay, but that you are actually building into your life. Uh, It takes 21 days, they say, to form a habit. That's a number of hours. And so if you want Jesus to be the center of your reality, it can't all be crammed into this 75 or 80 minutes, right? Right? Now, you got to take it out of here. So that's why we provide that for you. So go ahead and scan that, and it will actually take you to the Bible app event and the passage that we have for today out of Genesis chapter 15. And as you get there, I wanna share a a, a thought with you from Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt is famous for saying that the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. The only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. You've probably heard that saying a hundred times. And the reason why it hit the way that it did when he said it is because every single one of us can identify with the feeling of fear. Fear is powerful. Fear can be crippling. Fear can be gripping. And most of all, what we often don't think about is that the fear of something can often cause more chaos in our life than the thing itself that we fear. When you look at the life of Abraham, you really wish that somebody would have said that to him. Because ultimately, even if you're familiar with his story, you may not be familiar with his crippling fear. In fact, this verse that we're about to read together here in a moment may come as a surprise to you in the arc of his story and everything that you know about him. Look, look at this verse with me. It says in Genesis 15:1, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram, we'll explain that name change here in a minute, in a vision and said to him, look at those words, do not be afraid. Did you know that some version of do not be afraid is in your Bible over a hundred times? Did you know that? Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Fear not. It's in your Bible over 100 times. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, for those of us who parent children, you know you have to repeat things more times than you ever thought you would for them to get it the first time. And so the father repeats over and over again. I told you. Listen, I warned you because I love you. If the Bible says over and over again, do not fear. It will stand to reason that all of us have a fairly familiar relationship with fear. And today, my hope for you, my hope for you is that that relationship would change dramatically. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I, God says, and that's why, will be your shield and your reward will be great. I'm going to say to you the word of the Lord, and I hope you say back to me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now. That you would speak through your word, walk through your word, operate through your word, be powerful through your word, so that we would be transformed by the hearing of it. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a movie uh, based on a book called The Human Stain. It's a fantastic movie, and I'm about to ruin it for you if you've never seen it. Anthony Hopkins is the lead actor. And the way that the story goes, he's an English professor at a prestigious university, and he has spent the bulk of his adult life building up this English department specifically by hiring African-American men and women to build up this department. His whole goal was to diversify this school and diversify this department and make it a more equal opportunity situation. Well, one day he's teaching a class. And he goes to call Roe, for those of us who are teachers or have been teachers, you've done this a hundred times. You call Roe at the beginning of class, and you call out a couple of names. And he calls out these two names, and nobody responds. And he says, do they exist? I guess they're just a couple of spooks. Well, it turns out, unfortunately, that those two students were African American. And they took his statement of calling them spooks as a racial epithet or or racist slur. Well, soon, Anthony Hopkins, as the main character, his his character name is Coleman Silk, which I always thought was a dope name. Like, Coleman, what's your name, Coleman Silk, right? He's like, he had to be drippy when he was young. Coleman Silk gets called into this hearing by his peers. And once they review everything in the hearing, they decide that he has to be done with his job. He's fired and removed immediately. And the entire time of the hearing, he's arguing vehemently. I cannot be a racist. You do not understand. I am not a racist. I hired you. He turns to one brother and says, I hired you. Surely you can't believe this about me. But they do. And they fire him. And his life comes undone. His wife succumbs under the pressure. His friends completely abandon him. And everything he built falls apart. Now, here's a twist Coleman Silk's pleas that he is not a racist were not just the desperate cries of a caught man, they were the fearful cries of one locked in his own lie. You see, when you read the book or you watch the movie, you're going to find out something fascinating. Coleman Silk himself was an African-American man. Sometime in his younger years when he joined the military, one of the medical doctors at his exam accidentally put white on his entrance exam. And because he found it easier to navigate the world as a white man, he just remained white for the rest of his life. And so when that moment hit, When he had an opportunity to save his life by telling the truth, he was too afraid to tell the truth because he feared he would lose everything that he had built. Now, you may not relate to that story directly. In fact, I don't know anybody in here or on there that relates to that story directly unless you have something to tell us. But you can relate, I believe, to the power of fear. You can relate to what it feels like to be motivated by fear, imprisoned by fear, captured by fear, to the point where it becomes crippling. In fact, fear is crippling at times. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't get afraid a lot. I don't, honestly. But when I do, I always do something stupid. Always. Always. Why? Because fear is crippling and powerful. It's chaotic. It's chaotic. And so it stands to reason then why the God would say in the word of God over and over again, do not fear, do not be afraid, be anxious for nothing. Why? Because God knows the chaos fear can create in our life. But not only chaos, questioning questioning. Here's what I mean. Many of you have been in the position to ask this question of yourself. Can I really do anything remarkable if my life is marked by fear? I'm not coming for anybody, I promise. I had a sister tell me after the first service, I felt personally attacked through the whole of that sermon. (laughs) And I said, well, I would apologize, but I think your beef is actually with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to move on and get me another donut. But that's the question you ask yourself. You've asked it. Can I really do this? Can I really be that person? Can I really overcome? Am I really in the right place? Because of the power of fear. And that's what we're going to surface in Abraham's story. Abram, to start off, as that question right there is raised and answered for us. Now, I'm going to try to breeze through the beginning of this so I can really get to the meat of it. But I I don't want to miss anything important. If you turn to Genesis chapter 11, 27, you'll see the beginning of Abraham's story. And the writer of Genesis tells you who he is. He is the son of Terah, who is a direct descendant of Noah's son, Shem. So you see the tie together between week one and week two. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham did something horrible. If you want to go back and watch it, you can. Shem and Japheth walked backwards. They covered their father up. And now God's story is moving forward again. We're about 400 years from the flood at this point. About 400 years. And it tells us that Terah one day took his son, Abram, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his grandson, Lot, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, headed for the land of Canaan. But then he stopped in Haran and settled there. Now, we don't know why he decided to move. The Bible doesn't tell you that. Well, the Bible does tell us is that, uh, uh, that his son died, one of his sons died and, 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 and soon thereafter he picked up and moved. and so maybe he already planned to move, maybe that was always in the design, maybe that was always what he was going to do or maybe like so many of us, when a tragedy happens we think a change of location will be the point of healing. That's just an inference on my part, I can't prove that from the story but I can see it from the human narrative. I lost a child here, so I'm out, I'm gonna move on. From the very beginning, this is the tension that the writer builds for us. The writer of Genesis more than likely was Moses, whose story is also crazy and we'll see in a couple of weeks, but He builds tension from the very beginning. He tells us that Terah's son dies. He tells us that Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children, which in the ancient Near Eastern world was as good as a death sentence. In that world, and it was a pagan influence, ideology, in that world to have the inability to have children made you of no value. So I want you to put yourself there for a minute. You've got a death in the family. You've got a wife that can't have children. You've got a father who says, let's all move together. And I know that you were independent and you got your own and you left house when you were 17 and can't nobody tell you what to do. But it was different back then. (laughs) Families stayed together for generations. And a father was the patriarch of his entire household until he died. And so when Terah said, we're moving, we're moving. Put yourself there for a moment. This is how their story starts. They moved away and, and eventually it says that Terah decided to stop at Haran and settle there. Again, we don't know why. And all of this is backdrop to get to the heart of it. We don't know Why? We know that Abram receives a call in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 that says, leave your father and your mother and your family and go to a land that I will not show you but that I am establishing. Maybe somewhere along the way, as Joshua tells us in Joshua 24-2, he said that long before God stepped in, their ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshipped other gods. Maybe that became a rift in the family as well. When God called Abram and Abram said, Dad, I want to tell you about this God that spoke to me. And his father said, no, that's not what we do. And so perhaps... That is why Terah decided to stay in Haran while Abram decided to move on. So one day, God comes to Abram and he says to him, I will make a great nation of you. I will do all of these great things for you. In fact, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. But he doesn't tell him where he's going or how he's going to get there. Is that your worst nightmare, Enneagram Sixes? I want you to go over there. Where? Over there? How are we getting there? I'll tell you the route day by day. No, you won't. Yes, I will. I'm not going. Yes, you are. But why would God do it that way? That's what you got to ask yourself, right? Why would God do it that way? Here's my theory. My theory is often the more we know, the less we trust. And so so if I tell you where I'm going to send you and what it's going to cost to get there, If I tell you the country gonna close and open and close and open four times. If I tell you that you're gonna get diabetes. If I tell you that you're gonna fail at planting that church three times before it opens up once. If I tell you you're gonna be married 10 years before you have your first child. If I tell you you might not take the first step. I know it seems counterintuitive, but sometimes, sometimes our faith grows better in the dark because the unknown is the great playground of fear. So God doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. He doesn't tell him exactly what he's doing. All he says is leave. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to a land that I will show you. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot at some juncture. Now, I've tried to humanize all of these things for you guys. What would you say at that point? Nah. I think I I appreciate you, but I'm going to go back to this wood. What do you say, wood? Carved image. What should I do? No, we would be kicking and screaming. And yet Abraham shows incredible faith, and we commend him for that. He picks up and leaves just because God told him to. And yet, here's the complication. (laughs) How often is our faith commingled with fear? You see, even though God called him, And even though God gives him a series of incredible promises, I can't read all of this text to you. You're going to have to go back and read it for yourself, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. It literally says that. Now, now if you're here and you're not a follower of the way of Jesus and, and you're just exploring this, can I put before you that here today... Thousands of years later, right here in the city of Atlanta, and somewhere over in Iran, and somewhere in South Africa, right now, we're all telling the same story about this man. I'm not asking you to accept it all. I'm asking you to just maybe it's possible that it's real. I will make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, look as far as you can see in every direction. North and south and east and west. I'm giving it all to you. And to your descendants as a permanent possession. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This day I've given you this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River and the land now occupied by all these ites that I'm not going to try to pronounce. I was going to go for it until I got here. And I'm like, the A and the I, the A and the I together is throwing me. I mean, the Kenizzites, sure. Catamonites, yeah. Parasites, mm-hmm. Reefy-raffy. So I decided to skip that one. This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. You know... Sometimes to step into the thing that God has for us, he has to change the identity that we brought with us. I'm going to leave that right there. I'm changing your name. You'll be extremely fruitful. Kings will come from you. About his wife, I will bless her and I will give you a son from her. This was before he went and slept with his wife's slave. Oh, look, I got a whole family drama series I'm working on for 2025. No, I'm serious. It's so much mess. It's so much mess. We ain't even talked about Jacob and Esau and having favorite children. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me, what? I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky, and the sand and the seashores. All right, you get the point. You get the point. God made nine different similar promises to Abram. And you would think that would be enough. And we can stand back and be judgmental. We can stand back and be judgmental, but we got things we've been juking for years, even though we got promises attached. Why? Because often even the faithful promise of God is not enough to suppress our fear. And so that's what we find Abram, and this is the heart of it. I hope that wasn't too much buildup. We have two incidences, 25 years apart. That's important. Write it down. 25 years apart. 25 years apart. And the first of these comes pretty close after the first promise he receives. Genesis 12, he gets the promise. 12, 9, 12, 9, he continues traveling south toward Canaan. But while he's there... A famine hits the land. He determines that the famine is too severe for them to stay there. So he says, you know what? We're just going to trip on down to Egypt. And we're going to chill there for a little bit until this famine situation gets sorted out. And somewhere along the way, isn't that how it always is? Somewhere along the way, maybe he was delirious from being in the desert. He gets it in his mind that when we get to Egypt, they might try to snatch you up. That's my translation. Listen, when you, get, when you marry a baddie, you can't be scared to go outside. I mean, That's just. And you can't fight everybody. You can't fight everybody. Like, you knew what you was getting into. Same way you was looking at somebody else trying to look to. You shook to go down the street. Why? Somebody might look. Well, what you think? This is what he got in his head. And so he proposes this idiotic idea to his wife. And I think what frustrated me the most about this is the way that he started it. Look. (laughs) You a beautiful woman. That was a setter on her heels, like, "Oh yeah, you been looking? Yeah, girl, you fine. You looking real good today. Thank you. So when we get to Egypt, I need you to pretend to be my sister because I'm afraid of catching this smoke." I'm afraid that they might kill me. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to pretend to be my sister so that it will save me. So that it'll go well with me. So they will show me favor because they like you. You see, somewhere in his twisted logic, a a, a brother would live even if they came to take his wife. But a husband will surely have to die. Even after all those promises, he still did not trust God to be his protection and his provision. So he had to make his own plan. Didn't even mean to make all those peas, but it flowed. He had to make his own plan. Pretend to be my sister. And so that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they do. They, they pretend that he's... That, that was his whole plea. They will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Can you imagine... Can you imagine being on either side of this conversation? Say, uh, look, every time I go to the swats, I be scared to die, so... I'm going to need you to pretend like we're not married. And if, anybody, if any of the homies run up, be like, that's my brother. And then it'll go well with me. Well, what about me, baby? We'll figure that out. <laughs> Once we get into the situation. You see, when we make decisions based on selfish self-interest, we seldom think through the end result. Like, I just want to sit with this man and be like, did you not think they was going to take her? Were you just hoping for the best? You so interested in preserving your own life and making your own plan that you would put your wife in harm's way? That's exactly what he did, but look, sure enough, <laughs> that's why I like using different translations of the Bible. If it was the King James, it would be, King James would be like, thusly in due time, not that version, sure enough, <laughs> soon as he got there, everybody noticed how bad his wife was. Even the palace officials came through and was like, yo. And they went back and told Pharaoh like, hey, there's this new girl out there, bro. And then Pharaoh, and this is the part that just really upset me. Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. So for those of us who grew up singing Father Abraham, next time you do, remember that he essentially trafficked his wife. This man got rich from selling his wife to a king because he was what? Afraid. Afraid. You see this chaos. Now, because God is kind, he visited their household with some plagues. I know that didn't go together, but... When you're under God's protection said he visited Pharaoh's household with some plagues. And so Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? This is my favorite part. He said, take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them to the border and said, get out of my country along with your wife and all your possessions. Take your things and leave. (laughs) Now, I'm skipping forward because we don't have time. Abram moved south. And he moved to Gerar. And while living there, He was a foreigner. This is 25 years later. That's why I said it's important. 25 years. What I skipped over, I'll just give you a highlight. His nephew Lot got taken. He went and fought with his strong men and got him back. That's when God told him, don't fear, I'll be your shield. Melchizedek received an offering. The king of uh, uh, Salem was like, yo, let me give you all this money. He was like, nah, that's God's money. I don't want to take it. So he has shown these faithful moments. And foolish moments. Because the promise was taking too long. And so Sarah was like, well, yo, go sleep with Hagar and have a baby by her. And then when they have the baby, then Sarah get mad. She's like, yo, she got to get up out of here. <laughs> Genesis chapter 16, I'm telling you, read your Bible, they get in your head. Genesis 16, he says, okay. It says he was greatly distressed, but okay. And he sends her and his son into the desert to die. 25 years, and then he shows up in Gerar, which is in the land of the Philistines, and while living there as a foreigner, he says, uh, (laughs) he says that, uh, I need you to do it again. I need you to do it again. Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she is my sister. Now, if you're like me, you wanted to have some grace for him the first time. He young in the faith. He a new Christian. He don't know no better. But 25 years, you've been through some things. You've seen some things. You've seen God show up and show out. 25 years. Listen to this. And this is why I need you all to humanize this. 25 years. More of marriage. You still not prepared to die for this woman? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You still not prepared to die for this woman? Your fear is still your primary spouse. 25 years later. So he does the same thing, pretend to be my sister. So King Abimelech sent for Sarah, apparently 25 years later. She's still a baddie. She's been doing her yoga and her Pilates, probably vegan, drinking her water. You know? He sent for her. And had her brought to his palace. Now this time, in the kindness of the Lord, he intervenes before anything can go down. In fact, the Lord came to Abimelech that night and told him, you are a dead man for the woman you've taken. Y'all be asking for direct messages. I'll continue on with my subtle pokes and prods. You're a dead man for the woman you've taken for she is already married. Abimelech is in an uproar. The Bible tells you that. He got up early the next morning. I I suspect he didn't go back to sleep. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how he knew it was the voice of God. He just knew. I suspect he didn't go back to sleep. And he called everybody together. And when he told them, all of them were terrified. And then he calls Abram. and, And again, whatever possessed you to do such a thing? All that sentence is missing is my boy. Why would you do this? This pagan king, this pagan king has more character than this godly man. You know, one of the great griefs of my life has been to see my unbelieving friends and family behave with more character and moral than the people in the church. There's an example right there. Abraham's got a litany of excuses. I'll go over them all, and then we'll get to that one. He says, I didn't think I'd have any justice here. And I didn't think there was any fear of God in this place. And I at, Right? I didn't think there was any fear of God in this place. It ain't no fear of God in your house, my boy. And, and, and I asked her to do this for her love for me. This is a regular thing we do on all of our journeys. It says this in the Bible. This, this, we do this all the time. What's the big deal? But this last one right here, then he implicates God. And he said, well, it was God who made me wander out here. If he hadn't made me come out here, I wouldn't have had to do that. Abimelech said back to him, look over my land and choose any place where you would like to live. Now think about this. All of the things he feared were irrational. He did receive justice in that place. There was a fear of God in that place. Their hospitality was so great that even after he played this man, this man said, go ahead and live wherever you want. Abraham was more inglorious than the king he feared. And that's when you step back and say, these are the people God chooses. These are the people. And that's when I would say back to you, if them, why not you? I mean, as far as I know, I don't know everybody in here. I know most of y'all. As far as I know, you ain't got this kind of mess in your life right now. So why wouldn't God choose you to do something remarkable? On. Let me land this plane. I want you to first think about your relationship with fear. What is your relationship with fear? Or better said, is fear your closest relationship? Would you sacrifice anything to keep fear at bay? What effects, what power does it have over your life? Scientifically, we know that fear is first physical, right? Something happens our amygdala, our heart starts beating faster, our breath gets shallow. Did you know that blood actually moves away from your heart and into your limbs so that you can run away? Or fight, depending on how you build. And you know it's irrational. Anybody ever been to a haunted house, right? Anybody almost swing on somebody at a haunted house? You know that's an actor, but you're about to catch a whole charge because you're afraid. And that's your physical response. But you know what's crazy about fear? Fear also can make you foggy. Did you know that? Did you know that when fear grips you, parts of your brain start to shut down? Here's a free nugget. Never make an important decision when you're afraid because you're not even thinking with the whole part of your brain that you have the capacity to think with. You are incapacitated. As cortisol floods your system and fear is quite literally in the driver's seat. Now, why is this important? I could shout it from the rooftops. It's important because God knew That Abraham was fearful. God knew that Abraham was who he was. If God is God, God knew that Abraham was going to do all that foolishness he did. And yet he still chose him. And that's important for you. It's important for you. Why? Because we believe that fear counts us out for anything remarkable. We do. We do. I can't do it because I'm afraid. I can't do that because I'm afraid. You know, I'm, I'm coaching my son's Little League football team. Uh, if you want to be sanctified, try to teach five- and six-year-olds the game of football. Uh, I've got one kid named Jackson. He regularly sits down during the games and just plays. He just braids the grass. It's just, he braids the grass. They ask me multiple times during the game if it's almost over. We're playing up. We're playing up, right? So we're, we're kindergarten, first grade, we're playing second graders. I, I know, that's a whole other story in itself. I don't, I don't have time to get into it. And, and the second graders are big, right? Like we played East Paulding last week, and I swear he dropped his son off for an early game before he played in our game. Right? That's how big <laughs> he was. He's like, all right, son, have a good game. I'll be out there in about an hour, you know. And so my kids are always afraid. One of them was crying last week. He said, I'm scared. I don't want to play no more. And I'm going to brag on my son for a minute. He was scared, too. He said, they, they keep hitting me. And I said, I know, son, because your line can't block, OK? Yeah. He's the starting quarterback. Like, your line can't, you got no protection, son. The pocket folding faster than the Falcons. I understand. You got a, you got a whole Marcus Mariota situation going on here. I know you're afraid. I know you are. But you know what I said to him? I said, I said, as long as you are controlled by that fear, it's okay to feel that feeling. Feel it. Let it come. And then you take control of it. And he said, how do you do that, Daddy. I said, you have to believe that you are exactly where you are because you belong here. And then no matter what happens, you'll stand in the pocket and you'll take the hit. He's the only one last week who did not ask me to come out of the game. I'm so proud of him. Why did I tell you that story? It's the same for you. I'm not telling you that you're not going to feel fear. I'm not going to tell you that that blood is not going to rush in. I'm not going to tell you that all of a sudden the the, the physiological response of fear is just going to leave your life. What I am going to tell you is that you have been filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and that if you would stand in the pocket and ask God to meet you there with his faithfulness, listen, with his words, watch this, as a father speaking to you who you really are and that you're exactly where you're supposed to be fear can come but you won't fold and you won't ask to leave the game you know several years later in abram's life and i'm done right here i went way over but i don't care um it's the second service. Y'all knew y'all here for <laughs> <laughs> Several years later, God would come to Abram again and ask him to do something unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow, this fearful man mustered the courage yeah. to follow through. Yeah. And God showed up. Right at the end, And told him, you have shown me now. And this is why he had to do it. It never stood out to me this way until this week. Why would God ask him to do something so ludicrous? Because Abraham had to show that he trusted God more than he trusted himself. Even when it felt irrational. And it was a sign for us. It was a sign for us. That just like over the course of Abraham's life, God took him from pillar to post and place to place until he finally brought him to a place where he believed, watch this, that God's faithfulness was stronger than his fear. He'll do the same for us. But the advantage we have is that God did the same thing that Abraham did thousands of years later when he took his only son. And he said, stand in the pocket and take the hit for the whole world. So that by believing in him, we would not only have everlasting life, but we would have the power to conquer fear forever. Today is your day. Step into it with a little bit of faith, God will meet you with his faithfulness and fear will never have power over you again. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you meet our fear with your faithfulness. You meet our fear with your faithfulness. Thank you that the story of Abraham shows us that you don't call qualified people, you qualify called people. Thank you that no matter how much of a mess we make our life, that if we would give to you even our lowest moments, that you will meet us there and you will instill in us all that we need to walk out our life and into our future and into our destiny. And so we ask now, help us to believe in the God of promises. In Christ's name.